Hey there, friend. Listen, I want to invite you to join me for an upcoming presentation I'm offering called How to Shift from Willpower to Want Power. If you're tired of feeling like you have the best of intentions with food and weight, only to have it all fall by the wayside by the time your head hits the pillow at night, then this is for you. If you're interested in making permanent weight loss easier and less of a struggle, then this is for you. If you're curious what want power is, which you probably should be, and can't wait to learn how to incorporate it into your journey toward peace and freedom around food, then this is for you. I'll be presenting live twice on Wednesday, May 1st, 2024, at both noon and 7.30 p.m. Central Time Zone. I'll answer your questions live and we'll have a really good time together. But if you can't make either of those days, I'm not going to make you get a replay emailed into your inbox only for it to get lost and never be watched no matter how deeply you want to make time to go through it. Because I mean, honestly, who are we kidding? (laughs) We've all done this, including me. No, instead, we are offering multiple watch parties for several days after the live presentation. So come watch the replay with other doctors and interact in the chat with them and my team. So either way, whether you come live or to a watch party, it will be worth your time for sure. All you have to do is register at katrinaubellmd.com forward slash want power. That's katrinaubellmd.com forward slash W-A-N-T-P-O-W-E-R. See you there. You are listening to the Weight Loss for Busy Physicians podcast with Katrina Ubell, MD, episode number 177. Welcome to Weight Loss for Busy Physicians, the podcast where busy doctors like you get the practical solutions and support you need to permanently lose the weight so you can feel better and have the life you want. If you're looking to overcome your stress eating and exhaustion and move into freedom around food, you're in the right place. Hey there, my friend. Welcome back to the podcast. So glad to have you here. If you are new, then absolutely huge major welcome to you. You are in the right place. Quickly to introduce, reintroduce my guest from last week. I have a wonderful interview with Krista St. Germain, who is a certified life coach who came to life coaching through the loss of her husband. So she now coaches widowed mothers and is just an overall grief expert. So many of us have been experiencing a lot of grief. You might have actually lost people recently, whether it's to COVID or to something else, but there's been just a lot of loss and grief in general, just the way our lives used to be, things that we thought were just a given about the way life would be, and it's not anymore, and we don't know when it's going to end. And a lot of people are really struggling. So in this second part of my conversation with her, we talk about how to heal relationships with people even after they've died. We talk about the concept of the new normal, right? We hear that so much right now where everyone thinks about like, well, we just want to get into the new normal. What is the new normal? Can we figure out the new normal? And Krista talks about how that concept can keep us stuck. And then we spend a lot of time talking about how to support someone who's experienced a loss and how to support yourself after a loss. I think that these are really important things to discuss. So many people just don't know how to support somebody. And I think that this is going to be a really great episode for you to reference again in the future, because as we know, grief and loss are part of our human experience. And also feel free to share this with others who are struggling and just not knowing how to respond, knowing how to help others or help themselves. 
So it's a great episode. Krista and I always have so much fun when we talk and it's certainly not something that's like super heavy handed. You're not going to be like sobbing by the end of the <laughs> end of the episode. No worries. And I just know that she's going to be able to help so many people with the information that she shares on this episode. So please enjoy and I'll talk to you again next week. Take care. All right, Krista, welcome back. So glad to have you. Thank you. Glad to be here as the thunder rolls outside of my window. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just had a dog that was like moving all around. I think someone someone finally let him out of where he was trapped. So that's good. (laughs) Okay. So for anybody who missed part one of this two-part discussion on grief, let's just have you give give just a brief rundown on who you are and what you do. Yeah. So I'm a certified life coach and I coach widowed moms. So I have a slight obsession with grief, (laughs) post-traumatic growth and the like. And I got into this work because my husband was killed in a car accident by a drunk driver about four years ago. And life coaching was just really transformative to me. And so I just take great joy in helping other people, you know, figure out how to navigate their own loss and create life that they love on the other side of that. So yeah. It's so good. Oh my gosh. It's like, thank God there's people like you in the world is what I want to say. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> we really need people like you. We'll do that. Okay. So oftentimes I hear this, that people will think that because someone that they had a relationship with died, that they never will have a chance to improve that relationship, heal that relationship, make mm-hmm. amends, whatever they kind of struggle. So often that's like with a parent or some other loved one. Or it can be like in your case, right? Like maybe you had had like somebody just had an argument or something with their husband and then their husband died. And then like, what do you do? Like when you're feeling really awful about that and and you don't, you're just feeling stuck, I would imagine, right? You're like, well, mm-hmm. now that person died. Now I'm yeah. stuck with this I have to problem. go back in time to change time in order for me exactly. to heal the relationship. So yeah. I coach a lot on how to improve relationships, but mm-hmm. generally we're talking about both parties living live, right? Details. 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 Exactly. So how do you coach on the relationship when the other party is deceased? Yeah. Well, interestingly enough, it's actually very similar because the way that we improve relationships with the living is really through the way that we think about them, right? We know that the other person doesn't have to actually change for us to experience a higher quality relationship with them because relationships really happen from our mind and our thoughts and the stories we tell ourselves. And so that's possible in any relationship, whether the person is living or deceased, right? And first, I think we have to realize we're still having relationships with people we don't see, even if they're living, And with people who have died because we're still having thoughts about them. And that is what creates our emotional experience of them. That is what determines how we show up, right, in our own lives. And that's what creates ultimately what we call a relationship. It's always a product of our thinking. I sometimes think about it like the person is still very much alive just in our minds. In our minds, yeah. Right. And we'll tell ourselves, well, I don't have a relationship with someone because they're not in my life anymore. It's absolutely not true. As long as we have thoughts about them, we have a relationship with them. And so we have the opportunity, even if they aren't living any longer, to go back and look at what is the work that's left to be done in our own brain, in our own story, in our own interpretation of who they were and what they meant to us and how we showed up for them or how we didn't show up for them. And by healing our own thoughts, 
mm-hmm. recreate or, you know, change that relationship as we experience it, which is really all it ever is. Yeah. And, and it find- kind of flies in the face of some of the like early grief theory of, you know, how we really just need to get to a point where we need to be able to move on. Yeah. It's such a relief I find for people to realize that there actually is grief theory that says no continuing bonds are not only possible, but they're valuable. Mm-hmm. And we can still have a feeling of, you know, closeness and proximity to someone who's no longer living. It's normal. It's common. It's possible. It's available. It's right. advisable actually. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And you'll hear that often. Like people will say that they, you know, feel like they, they can sense the presence or like somehow they just feel like a connection to someone who's passed and mm-hmm. like they're having a conversation with them or something and they, they have that connection and they think that's great. Like it really supports them. Yeah. And that all I think is important too, to understand that that's self created. Like we can do that for ourselves. So sometimes people will yearn for a feeling of connection because they think that it comes from outside of them. Mm -hmm. And so they're scanning their environment. They're looking for ways that, you know, the person that they love who has died is communicating with them or reaching out to them. And because they don't feel it, they then cut themselves off from the possibility of connection because they don't realize that they can generate that connected feeling for themselves, regardless of you know whether they're getting whatever sign it is that they're looking for or whether their loved one is showing up in their dreams. None of that needs to happen for us to feel mm-hmm. a connection and continue to have a relationship. Yeah, that's really, that's really powerful because you're right. Like people talk about, oh, I had this dream and then they feel so great about having had the dream. Or I know when I went to some support groups for after infant loss, some people would talk about, well, you know, whatever, like maybe their, the bedding that they had gotten had like dragonflies on it or something like that. And then every time they saw a dragonfly, they're like, oh, that's the sign. And I totally didn't have anything like that. Yeah. And I'm like, I got nothing. I don't know what the signs are, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then for those of us who, who want it and don't get it, then sometimes, you know, we think, well, that's not fair. What am I doing wrong? You know, that right. these other people right. are right. seeing am I somehow you know, like dragonflies everywhere right. and I can't see it, you know, but, <laughs> know. but like, I feel connected to Hugo because I decided to feel connected yeah. to him. Right. right. I decided to find the connections mm-hmm. and create them. And I'm fully in charge of that. Yeah. And he doesn't have to show up in my dreams. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to send me signs from anywhere for me right. to feel like he's still a part of my life. And I talk to yeah. him and it's all very healthy. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Do you, what do you, what are your thoughts about the line of thinking as time passes of, well, it's been two years or five years or 10 years. Like what would the person be like then? What if they mm. lived? Like I just bring this up because last month was 10 years since my daughter passed mm-hmm. and somebody reached out to me on the day and said, Oh, I just think what would she have been like as Mm -hmm. a 10 year old? And I honestly never think about her like that. Mm. For me, I don't really see the utility. Like Mm -hmm. when I think about her, I think of her as a baby and thinking for me, spending time thinking about what she would have been like had she lived seems kind of futile. (laughs) Like to me, Mm -hmm. it's like, it feels a little bit like a way to, to hurt me because it's like, if I can concoct some sort of imaginative idea of who she would be, then I don't get to have that. Mm -hmm. So then am I just asking to be disappointed or sad? (laughs) You know, I don't know. Anyway, I'm just curious what your thoughts are, if that can be helpful for some people. Well, I think we know based on how we feel when we have those thoughts. 
And so it isn't universal. So what might be experienced as you're experiencing it is completely not useful for mm-hmm. somebody else might feel really good. And that's the case with almost everything in grief is that w- when we can stop trying to make everything fit into nice, neat categories and make some things right and some things wrong and just decide that different things work for different people and whatever you're experiencing is okay, pick what works for you and leave the rest. If it doesn't resonate, that, right? just so, leave it. Yeah, yeah. So if it brings you amazing peace and comfort or you know joy to think about what that person would have been like at a particular age, why not? But if it doesn't... Right. Don't do it. Just leave it. Yeah. Doesn't land. It's just not yeah. a big deal. Okay. Yeah. It's good advice. Very good advice. Okay. So sometimes people talk about trying to get back into the new normal. And I think that this is so, 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 so applicable right now, just mm-hmm. with everything going on with coronavirus and everyone kind of saying like, there's going to be a new normal, but we're all in a rush to get there because mm-hmm. we kind of hope the new normal is similar to the old normal, which I think is always hilarious, right? Because we were still pretty miserable, many of us, back in the old normal. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> we're like, wait, can I go back to that familiar misery? Because this unfamiliar misery feels worse. It's terrible. <laughs> so how does that play in with everything that's... That you yeah. Do? I think there can be ways to use that term that are useful. And then there can be ways to use that term that are not useful. So the useful use of that term to me is to acknowledge that the destination, first of all, it's not like there's ever this place that we reach where the grief goes away, right? It's always a part of our life. But when you think about, I need to get back to normal, And then you recognize that what I will now experience as normal will never be the same as what normal used to be, but I can still have the peace of a normal experience. It's just that it's going to be different. That's the way that we can use that term usefully. Okay. But it's become almost a term we use when we're resigning to a life that we don't really want. Mm. And we tell ourselves, well, I'm just getting used to my new normal. Yeah. My new sucky normal is what we're really saying. (laughs) My sucky normal, right? Like I used to like my life, but and I can get used to this new life that I have, but I'm not really going to like it. Mm -hmm. And we say it with this air of resignation as though we can't create something in the future that is equally as amazing, if not more than what we had before right? Mm -hmm. Loss is part of life, but it doesn't have to limit what's possible in the future. And so if we use new normal as a way to just resign ourselves to an existence that is meh, less than what we want, we keep ourselves stuck and we limit what's possible. And I just, it literally, like my skin crawls when I hear people say it that way. I just Mm -hmm. want to have conversations. about what is possible in their life, right? (laughs) Right. It doesn't have to be like that. Well, and there's been so much talk about grief recently with like, just as one example, like high school seniors Hmm. who are missing out on many of the very typical kind of rite of passage things like their prom and walking on stage in front of all their family and friends Mm -hmm. for graduation and just a lot of experiences that they're not going to be able to have that they were counting on having a lot of Mm -hmm your awards and recitals and things like that, that were all, are all canceled and the grief that goes along with that. And mm-hmm. I think what I think is so interesting is when people are comparing it. I know this even happened when I lost my baby. Like I remember a friend who ended up, well, she wasn't a friend at the time, but we ended up meeting 
kind of through our or becoming friends through our loss, joint losses. She lost her baby four days before I lost mine. Mm-hmm. And but she knew before her baby was born that her baby wasn't gonna live very long. Mm-hmm. Her baby ended up living mm-hmm. about an hour. And so she was telling her mom then about what happened to me. And her mom's like, oh, but see, that's so much worse because of XYZ. And then she felt <laughs> not yeah, great. Like, wait, this is not a competition about yeah. who had the worst baby death story. Right. Right. You know, and so I think it's kind of like when you're sad that you can't go to prom or you can't do some of the things you want to do, or even just like go on a vacation you were looking forward to with your family, then people could be so quick to be like, well, just be glad you're alive. There's all these other people who are suffering and, you know, brink of death or have died or whatever, like the other yeah. comparison thing that's so. You know, yeah. the perspective is that it's so much worse. Like, not like, how do we just allow ourselves to grieve, even when kind of other people think that it might be silly or just self indulgent or something like that? Yeah. So I think it's whatever we're feeling is supposed to be there, right? It's there. And so basically, what we're doing when we say, you know, it could be harder, it could be worse, or that person had it worse than you is we're, we're telling that person or we're telling ourselves that how we're feeling is invalid, mm-hmm. shouldn't be there. Now we know that our feelings are caused by our thoughts, but that doesn't matter. In the moment where we're in pain, where we're feeling the emotion, that's what's real for us. Yeah. And to tell ourselves that it shouldn't be there because someone else had it worse than we did, or that we should be grateful when, when gratitude is not what we feel is not useful. We need to process what's there and make space for what's there. Like we can have pain and still then later make space for whatever comes after it. It's very difficult to do that if we don't acknowledge and allow what is and, you know, shame or try to shame ourselves out of it or guilt ourselves out of it. None of that is. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Totally. So, So let's talk now more about support systems, right? Because I mean, hopefully <laughs> for most of us, we're going to have the experience of consoling more people than, mm-hmm. you know, us being the one who's actually yeah. grieving the loss ourselves. And, you know, what I've noticed just, you know, I'm not on Facebook personally anymore, but I used to be for a while and I noticed how there would be different things that would circulate and like everyone's got an opinion, like, never say this. It's the worst thing. You know, the five things you should never say to someone who's just lost someone or who's lost their Mm -hmm. baby or had a miscarriage or whatever. And so sometimes, you know, that's like clickbait for me. I'm like, Ooh, what do they say? Mm -hmm. I'm curious because of course I had my own opinions about what people told me and you know, what I thought was helpful and what wasn't. Mm -hmm. And what I find with most of those things is like, I'm like, Oh, see, if someone had said that to me, I wouldn't have been upset about that. Or yeah, I agree. I didn't like that one either. But there's no universal list of rules mm-hmm. in it's general. Like, it's almost like what other people say to us doesn't actually cause our feelings. I know it is almost like that, Krista. It's like that. <laughs> and what they say is neutral, and then we get to interpret it however we want, yeah. right? So yeah. if your interpretation of that is like that, like here's a prime example. So you know, everyone at the hospitals and everything, like where I used to go see newborns and stuff, knew that my baby had died and. And I went into one of the hospitals and one of the women who was one of the kind of floor assistants, she had lost her son a couple of years prior as a newborn. I think he was premature and then died. Mm-hmm. And so she came up to me and she was just like, I'm telling you what, we have got our angels in heaven. And that, that just makes me feel so peaceful every day knowing he's there. And I was like, wow. 
because people would be like, oh, I guess God needed another angel. And I'm uh-huh. like, like no, nope. I could punch you in the throat right now. Nope. <laughs> nope. That was a really good perspective for me. Like that actually is a really nice thing to say to some people. And it really yeah. resonates for, for some them. people, for yeah. some people. And it, I just was not one of those people. So, yeah. so what is someone supposed to do when they are trying to support someone who's great? They're like, I just don't want to make it worse. Yeah. What I think the, the first thing is like compassion, right? Compassion for you, the person who's trying to be supportive and is going to yeah. stick their foot in their mouth and compassion for the person who's going through the loss, just recognizing that we don't get a lot of education or help here and that we are probably going to say something that won't come out the way that we intended it, or it won't be received the way that we intended it to be received. But knowing that we're, we're doing our best, right? <laughs> Show some grace showing up. See, that's what I want to say. It's like what most people do is they just want to run the other way and ignore you because they're so afraid. So if someone's even there trying to talk to you, like you just have to love them because they're there. Yeah. It's awkward and sometimes it's hard and sometimes we don't know what to say and we can we can hold ourselves in a space of grace when we don't know what to say and when we Mm -hmm. say the thing that we wish we hadn't have said, right? Yeah. And so I think that in and of itself can go so far. But the other thing that's probably big is realizing that it's okay and actually valuable for someone to go through the pain that they're having. And it's not your job, nor is it even possible for you to fix their pain, right? Their pain is not a problem and it's nothing you created and it's nothing that there's anything in the world that you can say that would take it away, nor do you want to. So when we can figure out how to allow someone to have their own emotional experience and then not experience that as a problem, Mm -hmm. right? But just bear witness to it, be with them as they go through it and not try to say things that make them feel better because most of the time that's not how they'll be received. Yeah. Like this is hard. I love you. I'm here for you. And we don't try to put lipstick on a pig and, you know, you'll find someone else and there's someone better out there and you know, you're so strong and we just bear witness. And sometimes silence is an incredibly powerful way to do that. You're like, I couldn't do, I couldn't do it like you're doing it. And I'm like, how would you know? Right. How many times do you hear that? You're so strong. Right. What are you talking about? Right. I'm just doing the best I can. Look amazing. I'm like, I don't care uh-huh. about that at all right now. My heart is ripped yeah. into a million yeah. pieces. Right? Yeah. And, but I think there were actually a couple things that people either did or said to me that I actually thought were helpful. I'm curious what your thoughts are. Yeah. One was just saying, I really have no words. I'm so mm-hmm. sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it allows you to say something you're acknowledging that you don't know what to say yes. and that nothing can make it better, yeah. but you are sorry. Yeah. So you've yeah. said something and then you're also saying, I don't know what I else know. to say, so yeah. I'm just not going to, right. <laughs> which yeah. I think is actually really a useful thing to say. Mm-hmm. I agree. And often the other person, like the, the bereaved, they often do want to talk to someone who's willing to talk to them about it because so many people are so like... Mm, you know, mm-hmm. hush, hush, I can't talk about it with that person. Yeah. And then the other thing that I thought was super helpful was when people were willing to spend time, they weren't in a rush, right? Like, it's like, sometimes you can tell people are, are like, it's almost like you're contagious or something. They're like, if I stay too long, I'm going to get really sad and I don't want to feel mm-hmm. that way. So like, has it been a lot enough time? Like, mm-hmm. can I leave now? Mm-hmm. You know, the people who I, where I felt like I knew they were all in 
on the conversation. I didn't feel like any rush and they truly were holding space for me. Like they were just totally there to discuss what happened to me. They didn't make it about them. They didn't pretend to try to know a solution or understand Mm -hmm. or anything. They were like, just there, like you said, to bear witness. Yeah. And they didn't compare it to a loss that they had that one time when their cat died. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Right. Well-meaning, well-meaning. Right. Which, and we don't even know, like, you know, their cat dying could have been like the worst horrible tragedy to them. Right. So maybe it was similar, but it's just not useful. Yeah. Comparison is just not helpful. Right. Exactly. And, and so I thought that those two things were, were very, very useful. Mm -hmm. Just being willing to be there and be present Yeah, and not try to make it better. Like you said. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One thing that was really useful for me too, and that I always encourage is talking about the person that has been lost. And we have a tendency to think that, well, that'll just remind them or that'll just bring it all up for them. And it's already there. Like the person who's experienced a lot. like they forgot. We didn't forget. We didn't forget. And I always found such great comfort when people would tell stories about Hugo and they would laugh about him. And I felt really lucky because we had worked at the same company. And so everyone that I spent all day with knew him. And Mm -hmm. so we had a lot of shared memories and we could, you know, just pop a joke in a meeting about something that he would have done or found funny. And so whenever we talk, just say, even to say the name, you know, share a sentiment, I think is actually makes the griever or helps the griever remember that they haven't been forgotten and their loved one hasn't been forgotten. And yeah. it's just so important. Totally. I also liked it when people, and I didn't get this very often, but occasionally I remember that people who would well-meaning, they'd ask you, how are you doing? And then it would be like, no, how are you really doing? Like they're trying to get to like, <laughs> right. they're like, I'm not like those people who are just expecting you to be like, I'm like, okay. I'm fine. No, really. How are you really doing? And right. it's such a challenging question to answer one when you probably don't even want to talk about the details with every single person, yeah. but then also how do you even go about answering a question? Like, how are you doing? Like, how am I doing? in this moment? How am I doing in the broader sense? Like, what is the answer to that question? So having somebody ask me how I'm doing today, how I'm doing right now, so much easier to answer. Yeah. Because I, <laughs> because you have to formulate a response. <laughs> right. <laughs> Throw me a bone. Make it easy for me to like, how am I doing right now? <laughs> yeah. And then you just, yeah. The how are you doing question? You just kind of want to say fine and, and shut it down or you're all over yeah. the place because that's the experience that many people have when they're grieving. And it's hard, so hard to quantify how you are. Sometimes the, how are you doing really? I felt like sometimes Ugh. came from that person who was sort of like the gossipy person. Like sometimes it felt a little bit like people were like digging for details mm-hmm. a little, like it didn't feel like always like a true, genuine, I love you and care about you. And I mm-hmm. really be here for you kind of a thing. And I think maybe that's where that kind of repulsion to to saying it like that comes from. Maybe at least for me, just because it was like, well, the the people, the people who really did want to know weren't asking me that question. That question in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's kind of almost more like I, I, there's being skeptical of how you appear must not be how you're actually doing. So let's find out how you're really doing. Right. But you look like you're so goods. like, you're, you're so great, but like, how are yeah, you but doing? how are you really doing? Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> okay. So then how can you support yourself? 
after a loss. I think, you know, we do talk so much about like other people, but I think, I mean, I talk about this all the time with weight loss, just Mm -hmm. how, you know, to be accountable to yourself, how to be like, I have got me. And when I know I've got me, everybody else can just be who they are. Mm -hmm. I don't have to have all these expectations that they need to support me in a certain way or respond to me in a certain way or make comments in certain ways. Like they can just live their lives and be who they are because I know I've got me. Mm -hmm. So when you're in a state of incredible pain, yeah. How do you continue to do that? You allow the pain to be there. You allow the pain to be what it is. You allow yourself to be with it and not try to get away from it. And you try to not judge it or yourself, mm-hmm. right? You open up to it as the process. And what I see a lot of happening is that we judge ourselves for how we think and how we feel. We tell ourselves we should be somewhere other than where we are. And so then we're unable to be where we are. Yes. And so if we can just relax in to where we are and let it be what it is without judgment, it's so much easier to get through. Yeah. And can I just say, like, for those listening, that is exactly the same thing for all uncomfortable emotions, not just grief. Yeah. Like that, listen to her, (laughs) what she just said. Well, and that's what grief is, right? It's just a lot of different emotions. Yeah. Right. It's a lot of different thoughts and a lot of different emotions. So yeah, yeah. it's very much the same. That's really interesting, right? Like when you ask someone how they're feeling, they're not usually like grievous. Right. <laughs> or like I'm feeling, I'm feeling griefy. Like, I'm feeling grief. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. It's the it's the collection, like we were talking about in the last episode of like the the stages of grief. Instead of calling them stages, it's just like a collection of emotions that you experience or may experience while you're grieving. Mm-hmm that's what you're going through when you're grieving. But what I find so interesting is it's, there's not many other experiences that humans regularly go through where we, in general, understand that there's a process to it. Like there's a bit of a reverence to the process, like that it can't be rushed. And even when we want to rush it and we don't want to believe that. Mm -hmm. I mean, why did women wear black for a year? Right. Mm -hmm. Like there's this reverence to this process of grieving that person and being sad and and figuring out a way to put your life back together again so that you can continue moving forward. And we don't want to not feel sad when someone that we love dies, even though it feels painful. Yes. It's like, how else are you supposed to feel? In fact, when I, like I was saying, like my doctor had come in the, the next day. And again, I think he was just in such a state, he didn't even. (laughs) <laughs> he was completely throw, thrown off guard. But right away, he wrote me a prescription for an antidepressant, which I don't have a problem with. I think that's totally fine, but I don't have a history of depression. I'd never been on medication like that before. And it was like, right away, he was like expecting me to kind of not be, be able to handle it. And he encouraged me to take it. He even then set me up to see a psychiatrist who specialized in women who experienced mm-hmm. postpartum and you know pregnancy like depression and then postpartum loss and i was super grateful for that cuz she was actually really great and what she did was she had me tell her the whole story and she's like listen you don't need medication mm-hmm. baby died you're sad that's normal mm-hmm. i'm yeah. like okay good cuz that's kind of what i was thinking <laughs> like i don't think i want to take medication right now like it feels it's what i called clean pain right it's healing to feel that whereas dirty pain is creating negative results in your life right it's right yeah allowing that initial layer of pain without judging it 
that's, I, I like to think of that as, yeah. as the clean pain, right? So when we, when we judge it, we tell ourselves it shouldn't be there. We don't let it be there. That's when, you know, it becomes dirty and that's when we experience the suffering, but yeah. pain is so much a part of life. And most of us, even though when we're in it, we think we want it to go away later when we could process it. If you said, would you have not wanted to be sad about your baby that died? Oh God, no, no, the answer is no. Of yes. course you want to be sad about it. That's totally. what makes it meaningful. Like, I feel like I'd be like a weird sociopath if I was yes. like, whatever, it was no big deal. Yeah. Like, yeah. I still great. like missing Hugo. Yeah. I like, great. I actually, it feels good to me to miss him, but it's not in like an aching way, like a yearning way. It's more of like a, I loved what we had and I like thinking about it kind of way. It's kind of like an honoring kind of way. Yeah. Sounds like. Like I was lucky enough. This is how I feel now. Like if somebody had told me that in the moment, I probably would have wanted to punch him. But (laughs) like now I look back and I think how lucky I was to have had that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I find great comfort in missing that. I don't know. You get to choose, right? You get to choose. choose. Exactly. What what works for you. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's. Yeah. I also really think cool. you, so you, you asked about what we can do to support ourselves. I think another thing we can do to support ourselves is to assume the best in the others. Yeah. Because when we decide that everyone really is just trying to make us feel better or make themselves feel better, again, we're all just doing the best we know, with, best we can with what we know, then it's so much more palatable when we're on the receiving end of the words that came out the wrong way or the misintended advice, you know, whatever, it's just a lot easier to not get so offended when you remind yourself that, listen, nobody's good at this. And we're all just just a suggestion. Like any, all the thoughts they're offering you are just suggestions and you can just say, no, thank you. Like, you know, not necessarily like out loud to them, but in your mind going like that one doesn't, doesn't seem Mm -hmm. to do much for me. So like, you know, for, for my husband and me, it was the, like, it's what God wanted or, you know, it was just like, yeah. no, I'm pretty sure God doesn't want babies to die. Like, I don't know, because like, it just doesn't, doesn't sit well with me. And so once we heard it a few times and it was just like, okay, I'm just going to like, just- it was almost like a Teflon in my brain. Like that one came in and it just slid right out mm-hmm. again. Like, I'm not even going to pay any attention to that one. Yeah. Because it doesn't, it doesn't help. And they are just genuinely trying to help. Yeah, we see where they're coming from. When we can try to see where they're coming from, when we can assume positive intent, that that's, Mm -hmm. you know, something that makes them feel good and they're trying to make us feel good. And so maybe that thought really works for them, but it's okay if it doesn't work for us. It doesn't make it bad. It just, what works for one doesn't necessarily work for another. And that's totally okay. Right. Right. So it's compassion for yourself, compassion for others. Like everyone's going through that hard time. And, and, you know, a lot of what I had read was just about how we have kind of like sterilized death so much. Like it used to be like the person died, you know, loved ones died in your home and they stayed there for days. And it was like, you know, there's like in some cultures still like very much like a cleaning ritual and, Mm -hmm. and all these things that, that people do around the dead body. And all of that has been completely just hidden away now. And we don't know what to do. I'd never been had I ever been to, no, I'd been to like maybe one funeral, I think before Mm -hmm. my daughter's funeral. Like I just, I'm like, what happens? Like, I don't even know, you know, like we just don't know about that stuff. So of course we're not totally, you know, highly skilled and adept at knowing how to move through that. And I mean, that honestly says something even just about our, where we live in our society, right? Like how lucky we are that we don't live in a, in a place where we're experiencing tons of 
death around us. Like, cause that's not the case in every area of the world. Right. Yeah. And then the, the opposite flip side of that coin is that we aren't as comfortable with death because we don't experience it as much. Right. And to your point, you know, especially children, right. They don't often have. Yeah. Where any. it used to be like a child making it to age five was like a really right. big deal. And I think that's where kind of like taking the dead baby away thing kind of in not showing the mom and just moving on thing came mm-hmm. from, it was like, you were, you know, their, their goal was to have as many kids as they could. And this one didn't work out. And so. just like, you know, where I felt like, I don't know anyone who's gone through this before, you know, probably their experience was, I actually know a ton of people who've been mm-hmm. like this before, yeah. or, you know, my sister lost her baby when the child was two or whatever, you know, it was just so much more commonplace, still super sad. So it wasn't anything that people, like even in Victoria kind of era, they would throw really big birthday parties for little kids because it was like truly such a A miracle, you know, it's like pre-antibiotic era, like that the child made it another Mm -hmm. year. Yeah. Which is interesting now, don't you think? Because now we tend to tell ourselves that when a child dies, it's not the natural order of things. Right. But yet for so long, the infant mortality rate was so high that it kind of was the natural order of things. Yeah. yeah, the expectation is different. And that's, again, when the expectation is different than reality, that's when, right, that's when we, we have the problem. Yeah. 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 Say, well, child shouldn't pass before should. the parent. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Parents should not live yeah. their children. It's like, yeah, but it happens all the time. So apparently you should. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So we could probably talk forever. I think so. <laughs> that, that's one of the things I really do find fascinating about grief is how you can connect with people around grief yeah. and shared loss in such a different way than you can connect with people that you don't have. Even if it's not that you lost the same person, right? But you have a loss experience and you're willing to talk about what that experience was like for you. It's a connection and a bond that is so Mm -hmm. different than what you find without that, I think. I mean, for me, I just love like deep conversation and, you know, like a superficial conversation for me is just like, you know, a little bit like torture. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just don't like that kind of stuff. So like being able to get like really dig in and think about stuff and contemplate things and think about it in a different way. I love it. I love revisiting it. It's been a couple years now since I've done any, felt like any, like I've had any more layers on this loss. Mm -hmm. And like I said, we had 10 years go by and I thought, you know, I wonder like maybe something else will come up and it really didn't. Mm -hmm. And not to say that it won't, definitely there's been just as my kids are aging, especially my daughter, I kind of suspected that this might happen that as she got older, she would Mm -hmm. ask more about what Mm -hmm. happened and just kind of trying to put it together. Whereas my boys have been a little more typical boyish, I guess maybe Mm -hmm. where they just are kind of like, oh yeah, well, we had a sister and she died and moving on with life. It's been interesting to tell them like, so, you know, they're like, what exactly happened and trying to explain to them what happened and you know, helping them through that process and what that means to them. And like, even my daughter was saying something like about, you know, not having a sister. And I was like, yeah, but you do have a sister. She just died mm-hmm. before you were born. And, you know, just like my ways of trying to keep her memory alive. And, you know, it's just, it's always an evolution, right? Like, I don't want it to be that no one remembers that she was born. Every year on her birthday, we make cupcakes and we get balloons and flowers and we go to the cemetery and we sing her happy Mm -hmm. birthday. And it's always like a cold and windy day. And we, many times we've really struggled to light the the candle, but 
then the wind blows it out. And we're like, well, she did a good uh-huh. job. Good job. <laughs> yeah. And take the cupcake there and take a picture. It's, it's actually been kind of a fun marker for our family to have, you know, pictures. Like we've had like infants in a car seat right by, you know, the yeah. headstone and like seeing our family grow. Like there's so many special things that come from that. And yeah, I feel like, you know, I'm much more likely to share it with somebody who understands the significance of that and isn't like, that's weird. You're taking pictures. Yeah, that's Mary, creepy. You know? Yeah, I love that. And I think we also want to recognize that like this year you might celebrate her birthday and it might be fun and lighthearted. And then some year you might do that and it might hit you like a Mack truck. Totally. And that's okay. It yeah. doesn't mean anything, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. it's, it's, some days it's really different than other days. And yeah. none of that means anything about how you're handling it. I found right? that it's really hard to predict. Like mm-hmm. you'll think something will be hard and it'll be okay. And then you'll be like, this won't be a big deal. And you're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> didn't expect the, that. Okay. Yeah. The thing you thought would be hard maybe doesn't always turn out to be hard. And then something, yeah. I call right. this like grief bombs, like <laughs> grief grenades. <laughs> like <laughs> it's, you're not expecting it. It jumps out at you. And, right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I love the same thing. I love talking about Hugo. I love incorporating in, him into our lives and, you know, the stories that we tell. And it's been interesting too, now that I'm dating to start still talking about him mm-hmm. and still, you know, figuring out how that relationship will always be important to me and how to hold space for that relationship mm-hmm without making it mean anything about new relationships, right? And figuring that out. So I think there's, it's, again, it's part of the fabric of who we are. So as we have new life experiences, but yet we bring that loss with us into those new life experiences, we just figure out how do we make room in that new phase of life. So your daughter's asking you about her sister and it'll be different now than when she's 20 and when she's 30 and when she has her own child. And that's what I've, I've thought that I've really thought once the kids get old enough to even have that on their radar, like having their own children, they'll have a whole new perspective and understanding of it. It's, you know, especially my daughter, I'm sure. So, so yeah, I mean, it's like, it's one of those things, right? Like I never would have signed up for it, but I can see so many amazing things that have happened and how much I've grown as a person because of it. I'm grateful for that experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if it had to happen, I'm glad that I was willing to dive into it, right? And not just the other direction. I can't tell you how many people told me, "Oh, I know someone that something similar happened, and the couple mm-hmm. ended up breaking up." I was yeah. just like, "Well, I'm going to do my darndest to make sure that doesn't happen." Yeah, yeah, gonna- and this might be another podcast another day. But <laughs> you know, the whole the whole concept of post traumatic growth, right? That yeah. we can actually leverage a loss. We can use it, not that we have to or should, but that we can actually take a loss and uh, and use it to become more resilient to become more on purpose to become more of whatever it is we want in our lives mm-hmm. right it's it's not always about just getting back to the baseline of functioning growth yes. beyond and because of not in spite of but because yeah. of loss that really is a thing <laughs> right right <laughs> it is available to you if it's yeah. something you're open to yeah, yeah i love that all right krista so if anybody wants more information you have a podcast what's the name of your podcast it's called the widowed mom podcast okay great and they can find you at what's your website coachingwithkrista.com yeah so with a k k r i s t a with a k k r i s t a 
All right. Perfect. Yeah. So I definitely, I just think it's even just having your information would be just such a great resource for my listeners. If they have any patients who, yeah. you know, have a, have a loss of a spouse or something like that. I just think that it's just really good for people to know that this help is out there mm-hmm. and they're really not alone as much as Absolutely. sometimes people really feel like they want to be alone. Yeah. Even some <laughs> of my, some of the podcast episodes that I do, of course they're specific to widows, but they're applicable to any loss. I did one specifically on how to support someone in a loss. So that might be useful yeah, to some people definitely, too. Definitely. Yeah. Awesome. But probably if you're the one with the loss, sending people to that podcast that you know and love. <laughs> may well, you know, be totally- <laughs> I think it's what I say is like, send the person to the, to the podcast, listen to it, but then have a discussion. Yeah. Right. Then talk about what is it in that episode that resonated with you and what didn't, what works for you, what didn't, and use it as a way to approach an awkward conversation yeah. like this. That's so hard to have otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hope that's how, you know, people in yeah. my community are using well, it anyway. You know, and, and now I think about it too. Like, so I had to go back to my OB's office obviously like for a six week check after I had the baby. Right. And you know, most people bring their baby with them and then they show all the staff who've been seeing you, you know, cause at the end you're going in like super regularly and stuff. And I went in, I remember, I'll never forget. I went in, signed in, talked to these women at the front desk that I had seen so many times, totally knew I was, you know, going to be having a baby. And they did not say one word to me. It was almost like they acted like they didn't know me and it felt so hurtful to me. Like, I remember at the time thinking, well, what did you want them to do? Like say something nice. And then you're sobbing in the waiting room. Like, like, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like what, what, like what would have really been better. But I remember then at some point talking to my OB at the time. And he told me, cause I just thought that they just didn't know or mm. know what I thought. I was just like, I can't, I just, it felt it felt personal. It just, Mm -hmm. my interpretation of that was Mm -hmm. like, that that was painful and hurtful. And and he told me later that he actually told them not to say anything. Oh, And I think that, I don't know, I guess, again, like people, he was just trying to do what he thought would be best. But I also think that it can be helpful to just let people, like, you don't want someone bumbling or like making it about them, but like giving people the opportunity to say they're sorry or just take knowledge. I just like, I see you. I understand mm-hmm. like you're here yeah. and your baby, you know, like it's, I think yeah. it's okay to let people say things. So just maybe for people who are listening to just kind of that idea of like, you don't have to like shut everyone down, pretend like everything, like nothing happened. Yeah. That maybe isn't. And if no, if no one says something to you, it's also a great lesson that we have no idea why. Right. right? We have no idea why, but we can assume that they had positive intent. Yes. And maybe there's, they have their own grief story Mm -hmm. that we don't know about. Maybe this is a really uncomfortable thing for them for reasons we aren't aware of. Maybe somebody told them not to say something. Maybe who knows? Right. Most people, they don't just say, you know, I'd really, I'm not going to bring up her baby because I really would like her to feel terribly awkward and unheard. Stick it to her. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. If I have the opportunity to do that, by golly. (laughs) Totally. Oh my gosh. Okay. So everybody check out Krista because she's so great as you can tell. And Krista, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on, sharing all your wisdom. This is definitely an area we have not discussed in enough detail in this podcast. And it's so important, right? Because like we were saying, like you don't process the grief. What do you do? You're like, Hey, I know I can entertain myself with food Mm -hmm. and sometimes alcohol too. We didn't even really touch on that so much, but drinking and, you know, just wanting to numb and just to check out And so sometimes we're like, I don't know why I can't stop eating. I don't know why I want to have this alcohol so much. Well, you know, when you stop, you find out, oh, 
there's actually all this other stuff going on that I've just been. Might be some feelings under there. There might be some feelings and they might be worth looking into. So Krista, thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. Did you know that you can find a lot more help from me on my website? Go to katrinaubellmd.com and click on free resources. 